watch lovers, nerds, enthusiasts, or however you identify. This is the 1420 Podcast with your host, Andrew, and my good friend Everett. Here, we talk about watches, food, drinks, life, and other things we like. Everett, how are you? I'm not I'm not on my A game. I, I'm. It's solid B game tonight. Well, you know what? B's are better than C's, and D's get degrees. So, <laughs> here we are. And I just told you, it doesn't have to be the A game. Because it's just us it's and whoever's just, drinking beer with us tonight. It's just us. Speaking, speaking of. <laughs> Me too. Uh, yeah. No, you know, we've been uh, just absolutely crazy with, you know, the kids are both playing baseball and um, all the sort of spring stuff. Kids are getting ready for summer. There's play dates. The teachers are going on strike. I had to drive to Roseburg for a court appearance today. It's just been crazy. Bedlam. And Bedlam. never mind. New job, new environment, that whole that whole stress. Like, I don't work long hours, but I am very tired. Mm-hmm. And all the things that I used to do when I came home from work, I don't have the energy to do anymore. Last night, I spent, I'm not exaggerating, four hours folding laundry. <laughs> it was not four hours worth of laundry, but I spent that much time on it because I'd fold like eight pieces of clothing and then have to take a break. And then have to take a break. And I got sweaty because for some reason, of all the things in my life that I do, folding laundry makes me the sweatiest. If I fold laundry for, for an hour, like like four loads of laundry, or go and run two miles, I'm more sweaty after folding laundry. You know, I think it, part of that is, you know, it's hot when it comes out of the, It's coming out of the dryer, and so it's oh, hot. It wasn't fresh out of the dryer. <laughs> Who folds laundry out of the dryer? I mean, I was trying to help you out, brother. No, it was... It was it was laundry that had been in baskets. I'd been dressing mm-hmm. out of baskets for a week. Yeah, I get um, that. So I did the the laundry, like in the midst of the folding, did the laundry that had been building up for the last week. Uh, but yeah, no, definitely more sweaty after four loads of laundry than two miles of running. Right. <laughs> well, I, I, I appreciate you for, for your con- contribution to your familiar unit. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I've done no such no such endeavor this week. I've taken on no such endeavor. I, I did uh, wash some dishes tonight in order to cook. In, well, yeah, yeah, no, actually, I washed I washed all the big stuff. You know, Kim is is pretty good about getting in the kitchen and doing the small stuff, but she always leaves the big stuff. So, and we both do that, right? I say Kim, I'm blaming Kim, but but really, we both do it. We'll get in, we'll you know load the dishwasher, kind of put the stuff away that needs you know stuff sitting on the counter, and then we'll leave the big shit. You know, so there's like the colander and the big frying pan and you know maybe a mixing bowl and it just it'll sit there for like you know eight months in a pile with Mm -hmm. some sort of petrified cookie dough on it or something and so i i got home today and i knew kim wanted wanted to get the kitchen clean and so i just first things first yeah you were still in work clothes when i came over Man, I was. I mean, we just we had just gotten home in the last twenty minutes. So you know, these baseball games they start at six, which is wonderful because if they start at four, then you'd have to try like get off work. But you know, then they're not over till seven forty-five, right? Which you, is way past kids' bedtime. It's past the kids' bedtime. Seriously, it is. So then we still have to get them home, give them dinner. Uh, you, you know, fortunately, the teachers are striking, so there's no school tomorrow. That's great for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> we have uh, uh, we have the fortune and misfortune of having a, a two-piece a two-part sink oh, yeah. so i can still do all the sink necessities with half of my sink loaded to the brim with dishes right. and i on more than one occasion 
uh, have just relocated all the dishes and neatly stacked them mm-hmm. in the big side. You can get more more. You can get more in there if you neatly stack them. Oh yeah, I do that. Yeah, I've can... done that instead of like, which takes more time than just unloading the dishwasher. Right. But I, I, <laughs> I find myself doing that pretty regularly. You can get like a good two weeks worth of dishes in in a, in a kitchen if you stack them. Yeah. Yeah. Neatly. You know, all the silverware goes in a coffee mug, and then when that coffee mug's full, it starts to go into the next one. And, That's right. You know, your plates and the bowls and the kid bowls. Because low, low center of gravity on coffee mugs. That's a that's a, a pro tip. Exactly. Put a little soap in the bottom, fill it with water. Silverware holder. You're welcome, y'all. Yeah, and it'll hold silverware for as long as you want it to. Two weeks, six months, a year. It'll, it's fine. It'll hold it until you're out of, out of silverware. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and then it's soaked in soap water. So, so all you have to do is just wipe pull out two forks. <laughs> yeah. Clean. Been there. Yeah. <laughs> I did get new glasses. You did. I got I, new glasses. I like them. Thank you. I had to I so I I went, you know, my prescription has been changing annually, which is brutal. Um but I got I I had had the same pair of glasses for I think 4 years, 5 years, and so I thought, "Ah, oh, it's time to get some new glasses, at least just to have a second pair." Uh so about 2 weeks ago, I went and ordered these. Um and Saturday morning, driving up to Salem for drill, and my glasses broke. My my daily drivers broke. So I, I guess while the, driving, yeah, I think I just kind of went to like shake them on my face, and the one of the uh, what do you call it? One of the hinges, the metal had fatigued, and it just. So I, the timing couldn't have been better. I called the eyeglass place and said, "Are they ready?" And they were like, "We'll have them Monday morning." So, but yeah, now I have new glasses. They they're made in Brooklyn by a company called Modo. They look good. They uh they kind of fit the like Al Roker feel that he's been going with lately. They're clear, <laughs> like not a uh, not a really ostentatious color. Yeah, they're clear, totally but, clear. Uh, with with t- titanium temples, they're I, titanium. I dig them. I don't Man. have to wear glasses. Suck it, loser. Uh, yeah, being four eyes is is a, a hindrance to makes not you look smarter glasses. and cooler though. You know, it, it act, I don't mind it at all. People have said, oh, have you thought about LASIK? I, I'll tell you, the one reason that I consider LASIK pretty seriously is sunglasses. Do you have prescription sunglasses? I do, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I can't see without them. So uh, it's either contacts, uh, which just I've tried it a number of times, and I can't. I just can't do it. I can't get into it. So I'll wear them for a couple of days, but it's such a um, an irritant to my eyes, you know? So anyway... Uh, yeah, new glasses. And you don't wear a, a lanyard on your sunglasses when we fish. That's bold. Yeah, I do. Do you? Yeah, I wear croquis. I'm trying to imagine it, and I don't remember it. I've got like four or five of them. Okay, well, <laughs> then never mind. <laughs> say bold move, Cotton. <laughs> on the boat, I wear them. Uh, where else do I wear croquis? You know, if I'm waiting for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, pretty much any sort of outdoor activity where they might fall off, I do. Smart. Yeah. 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 I've always thought about getting rec specs for like playing when I play basketball. Like some big ones. Some big like Horace Grant rec specs. That always makes me think of that movie tan- or that not that movie, that book, Tangerine. I don't uh, think I read it. It was a book I read probably in elementary school. It was like a uh, yeah, like a YA novel. And whenever I think of rec specs, I always think of like one of the opening things he's describing himself. It's a first person novel from what I remember. And he, he talks about hating having to wear these rec specs because they look as though they could crash land on Mars and be unharmed. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, exi- that, that's every time I hear the term rec specs, that it's immediately what 
what comes to mind. Aren't our brains funny? Right? And then I think of this kid that I played soccer with as a, as a kid. I played club soccer with him for probably eight years. And he was this really goofy, wiry, like, reminds me of the dude who does the, uh, does the sound effects by voice. Just, just really goofy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I played soccer with him for years, and he was like, he was like playing against an octopus. Like you could just, you could never <laughs> tell which direction he was going. Like an arm would be moving one way, one leg moving the other, the other leg moving the other, and then somehow one one arm like behind him. <laughs> he, he was just this an amoeba. Uh, great to have on your team. Terrible to play against. And, and he wore rec specs. Oh yeah, also rec specs. Yeah. yeah. All right. That's all we brought it together. Yeah. <laughs> Any, anything new with you besides your, uh, well, oh, you, you had a fun day at work. I did have a fun day at work. Uh, got to uh, do some emergency vehicle operations, um, which is basically fancy for saying driving department vehicles like they don't belong to the taxpayer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah. Uh, it, I've never worked or done anything in an environment <clears throat> where you could kind of um, not be reckless, but... A little bit, huh? A little bit, like take your take your abilities to the very edge, and um, in a consequence free environment. So yeah, I got to do that today. I could do that all week. Like, how do you how do you complain about that? Are you learning like Are you going to learn like pit maneuvers and that sort of thing too? Oh yeah, gosh, oh yeah. He's That's exciting. Our instructor told us that if anyone can get through their first pit maneuver without uh, smiling, that they have no soul. Uh, and he commented on me yesterday. He looked at me. I'm a ginger for, for those of you who, who don't know. I'm not full ginger freckles, but like a daywalker variety. Um, and he looked directly at me. He said, for those of you who might sunburn or whose mortal enemy is the sun, you should bring sunblock. I was like, hey, man, you're looking only at me. He goes, <laughs> and I'm not making eye contact for a reason. <laughs> so I did sunburn a little bit today in spite of sunblock. Oh, um, yeah. But that's my life. Yeah, that is your life. Although I will say, we got through Mexico. You didn't sunburn because three, one other ginger, and three people total were looking out for my well-being. Because like, you all, like squirting sunblock in your hand every yeah, twenty minutes. Yeah, because you all care about me, and were reasonably concerned about how much of a bitch I am yeah. when I get sunburned. Yeah, no, that was it. Was more the latter than the former. Yeah. So it was a team effort. It took four people to sunblock me. And it worked. <laughs> it did work. Yeah, it did work. We were shirtless in the pool the whole fucking time. Yeah. And I didn't sunburn. I got a weird tan line at the at the water line, but mm. that'll happen. That'll happen. That'll happen. So we're talking today, we're talking about uh uh watches. Yeah. Shocker. M- micro brand watches. And and w- the the tagline that you sent me, uh-huh, which is the route I took. Okay. Is the state of microbrands. The state of microbrands, yeah. I, I mean, I guess that that may be a, a little bit more inclusive than we're actually intending to be. Um, but but for what it's worth, I think that that's where our heads are as we started the conversation. And at the conclusion of this, this might unintendedly, unintentionally. Unintendedly? Yeah. Unintentionally become a multi-part um, evolving uh, progress report. Uh, much like the state of the state, the state of the city, the state of the union, any of those state ofs, mm-hmm. um, it could become a recurring theme here at, at the 40 and 20 um, because it is something that's in flux. And I will say right out of the gate, <clears throat> I think the state of microbrands is in the midst of crisis. Oh, really? I do. Gosh. I do. So this may be a controversial topic. Yeah. I mean, that's scary. 
so please i'm feeling a little anxiety already right right (laughs) fear-mongering buy them all y'all because it is in crisis well and i think it's in crisis so with that before before please listen with the intent of chiming in let us know your thoughts get engaged with this because this is something that nor everett or i could ever be an expert on um but it's something that's worth worth discussion so let's make it a discussion we talked about this a bunch of times we're sitting here drinking beer join us with a beer share your thoughts let's have it so to you well, I was going to ask you to kick us off. That's what I was going to say. Why don't you kick us off? Because I think you've got some. Uh, I think you've got some organization I, to your thoughts. I do. I have a fully formulated opinion, and I'm going to start by recapping the thing that my thought that the state of the microbrand is in crisis, and I think it's an identity crisis. And I think where we have to look first for that solution is in delineating between a what I'm going to call a true microbrand and a part two of that being a coattail rider microbrand and that's not meant to be derogatory it's meant to be a company who's capitalizing on the microbrand explosion that is not unique to watches we saw it in beer 10 years ago you know, that's that's when the bulk of craft breweries started popping up. That's when the real craft explosion began about 10 years ago, maybe maybe longer. And there's craft brands that have been around for 30 years, 40 years. But when we look at that segment of, of the consumer market, craft beer really blew up 10 years ago, maybe 15, yeah, but in that neighborhood. 15, yeah, yeah. So we got we have one we have we have a craft explosion there a micro explosion there if you look at mattresses you've got casper you've got all these mattresses in a box who are capitalizing on that same direct-to-consumer mentality i i'm gonna need to know more because this <laughs> but, but so that's what we're looking at we're looking at these brands that are capitalizing on a direct-to-consumer no, can we talk more about the mattresses are you not familiar with these mattresses? no dude Okay, well, I'll, I'll Google it. We can talk next week. Keep... That could be another thing next week. I don't have one, <laughs> but I want one. Okay. They, these, they're mattresses. They get delivered to your door in a box. Most of them have like a 100-night, like it or it's free guarantee. They're usually uh, queen-size mattress, $700 or south. They're, they, they show up to, to your house in a box. You open it. You cut the cellophane. You drop it where it's going to go, and it, you let it sit for like four hours, and it fully uh, it erects itself back into its <laughs> into its fully formed shape. Um, it happens to me too, but, but usually the, in the morning, always in the morning, just a very small tent. Uh, <laughs> okay, so so I get so, it. So what we're looking at is direct to consumer marketing, which is huge at the advent of the internet and, and really in the last 10 years you see amazon as the big as as one of the first direct-to-consumer uh companies who starts uh kind of bringing together and almost co-oping with small retailers to get their goods direct to consumers so that's what we're seeing as a as a big broad stroke explanation of what i believe is the big explanation for the explosion and growth of microbrand watches specifically what they're doing is capitalizing on what the general consumer good market is doing currently thoughts well yeah so uh, maybe we'll back it up so i think the reason 
you and I even started talking about this is um, this is going to be a fairly specific anecdote, but I watched a um, video by Jody from, you know, his channel, Just One More Watch. He uh, reviewed a watch this week by a company that we're big fans of, EMG. Uh, specifically, he reviewed the 42mm DL63 chronograph. I think it was a panda dial. Um, and, and Jody, so so caveat, Jody's channel, Just One More Watch, really sort of focuses on, I mean, I mean, sort of the same watch as we do. You know, he really loves the 50 to $250, $300 watch, which I think is, is right where we're at, right? I think so, yeah. Um, and, and you know we we go higher than that with some of our watches, as does he. So all, already from the get go, it's probably in terms of his the watches he reviews, and certainly in terms of the people who watch his channel, already on the high end because that's a four hundred dollar watch. Mm-hmm. Um, the DL sixty three. I don't remember exactly what I think it's three seventy five. So so it, it's up there. Or maybe a four twenty five post pre order with their inventory. Either way. Between 350 and And, you know, reading through the comments was brutal because, he, to Jody's credit, he gave a, a good, solid review. You know, he sort of says it like it is, but at some point in his video, he compares it to the 42 millimeter Siegel 1963 and says, I don't understand why this is more expensive than that watch. And... I think that a lot of his watchers, listeners, viewers, whatever, took that cue. And the comment section on that is brutal. There is maybe 20 to 25% of the people who comment and say, this looks great. You know, that Siegel, that ST, uh, you, you know, that Siegel movement is fantastic. It's beautiful. Uh, the style and cues on this are, are great. This is a great value for a watch. 25%. The other 75, you know, I'd say 60, 65% of the remaining comments, um, or, 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 you know, the, most of the remaining portion of the comments were pretty critical about the price, not about the watch about the price and of those i'd say half of them were critical about the price when compared to the siegel 1963 version um and so i sent that to you and said hey Mm -hmm. take a look at this because this is super interesting i also reached out to eric and said you you know you know i actually felt a little bad because it's sort of like let's talk about this thing that's happening that kind of sucks yeah um but just to sort of say gosh this is crazy this is insane to me, uh, and, and and so I shouldn't say it's insane because right people have opinions and, and people are, are granted their opinions, and, and I think that there obviously there's going to be some validity to the things these people are saying. But um, so so that's sort of background context. Now we we can get into all the reasons I think those people are wrong or what they're missing or um, you, you know w- w- perhaps perhaps you think they're right. I'm I'm not sure, but that's the context for what we're getting at. There's something. There's something happening, and I don't think it's new. I think it's always been happening. But there's something that happens when people look at goods that's reductive. There's a lowest common denominator, um, a, a lowest common denominator emphasis that that creeps in at the edge of these at the edges of these conversations. And so, 
the context for me in saying, hey, to you, what, what, what do you think? Where, where are we with this? What can we talk about? And, and I assume, I mean, we're already sort of well into our show here, so we're going to have plenty to say about it. But I'll stop babbling. I'll give it back to you. So I want to finish the thought that I had. And when I said it wasn't to be derogatory, I think what we have to do is examine how we define a microbrand. I think that's the first step in examining the state of microbrands, and that determines how we move forward in this conversation. Is there a difference between, say, uh, like Halios and Jack Mason? And I think yes. I think with, with no reservation, yes, there is an absolute difference between Halios and Jack Mason. What is the difference? Yeah, give us the rules. Right? Well, so I think that's I think that's the conversation. How do we look at the difference? So I wrote down some ideas of, of, of why they're different. Is it the types of movements that they're putting in? Is it, are they grabbing an off-the-shelf quartz? Are they grabbing an Etta? Are they using a Miyota? Or what, what type of movement they're using? And, and then maybe, maybe it goes deeper into why are they using that movement? Is it to, to pay respect to a, a, a watch that they're, that they're making an homage of? Is it because it's the cheapest? Is it because it's the best function for what they're, what they want out of that watch? Uh, what kind of design decisions are they making? Are they being innovative? Are they being creative? Or are they just throwing some watches together that look cool? And it's not to it's not to degrade Jack Mason because Jack Mason Mason makes some really lovely watches, but they have ninety offerings all using inexpensive movements, all ringing in at two hundred two hundred fifty dollars. Mm-hmm. It's a great value proposition. It, yeah. What are you getting out of it, though? Are you getting a micro brand watch or are you getting an inexpensive fashion brand watch? And and that's, I think, where the discussion is. How do we delineate between true micro brand watches, between folks who are making honest to goodness watches that are thoughtfully designed, that are purpose driven, that are innovative, that have a goal in mind and watch companies who are just capitalizing on the direct to consumer craze that are that's working i mean i think aviate falls into that i think jack mason falls into that i think what about dan henry i think dan henry's a weird middle ground because dan henry's making homage watches and i actually wrote him down for that reason i think he's a micro brand who's making homage watches based off of his extensive collection of of watches that you can't get anymore for a reasonable price and what he's doing is he's bringing that that piece of history to the consumer for a reasonable price and maybe not being so thoughtful about the 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 orology of of it mm-hmm. so much as the as the the heritage of it mm-hmm. yeah no i mean it's an interesting distinction when when you look at the etymology of the phrase you, you know uh i think it speaks to something that's not influenced by uh or, or it speaks to a concept that that doesn't ring in um of you know there's no philosophical element to that pure etymology right Mm -hmm. a micro brand is just a small brand right so theoretically uh a a brand like aviate they've got you know just a small handful of watches or or jack mason you you know 90 watches is a lot but i think they may not have 90 that was a that was probably an exaggeration uh, you you know whatever whatever, but you you but i get what you're saying and points well made um you, you know, so relatively speaking, they are a micro brand in the truest sense of the phrase. So, um, you, but you're saying maybe there's something 
there's a distinction that you'd like to make that that is philosophical. And I, th- I think it's important to make to truly get at the heart of what a micro brand watch is. And that that's that's where I kind of started my my thinking as I, as I prepared for this was what is a micro brand? Hmm. Um, and then I, I looked at other other examples across the consumer products industry. Uh, beer being the easiest for me because that's something that I've been heavily involved in. I mean, that's what I did for money for a long time. Uh, and never mind the fact that I'm a uh, I'm an avid beer drinker, though it gives me heartburn. So as a function, I'm also an avid Tums taker. Um, <laughs> but I Tums think... not been affected by the direct to consumer craze. No, maybe because of beer. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think if, if we look at it in parallel and, and use other other products as an example for where we think the, the micro industry is going, I think it's hopeful, but I think it's having its identity crisis that, that beer had 10 years ago when you have, we'll use a couple of our hometown breweries. We have Hob Valley yeah, and we have Ninkasi. And Ninkasi was at the spear's tip of the hop bomb craze that was really the explosion of craft breweries in the Pacific Northwest that spread across America. Now, what Ninkasi did was flooded the local market and, uh, you know, regional market to some extent with crazy IPAs. We're talking north of 100 IBUs, things that even even hop-crazed animals didn't like but they liked them because they were innovative they yeah. were new they were different that first time i had triceratops i was like oh my god oh my gosh you're kicking me and like from my <laughs> mouth all the way to my butthole like just immediately but you liked it yeah because it was new it was different it was innovative it was something you hadn't seen before you hadn't experienced before and and for those reasons and it tastes good yeah you know. i like it I, I i'll still drink it today yeah and then you have hop valley who emerged three, maybe five years later. Yeah, that's probably about right. And they made really great marketing. Their their marketing was off the fucking hook. They have cool names. They have a they have a beer called the Double D Blonde. And the uh, the logo is a very nineteen forties pinup girl decal, uh, wearing a red bandana around what you wouldn't something you wouldn't expect. Some double D's. Um but all their beer was boring. Now, the, the route Hop Valley took... Now, now, none of their beers are bad, but 90% of their beers are boring. And the route they took was to grow the brand, solidify the, the brand, and get bought out. You, you know, that's super interesting. I wrote an article about this. This has been a number of years, and I, was, I wrote it for a blog that I edited uh, for, for a number of years that I'm not going to mention on the, on the channel. But I wrote this exact thing, that it, it was at the time Hop Valley came out, and I wrote that, you know, you know, I kind of looked at the company and they were heavily invested in big beer money had invested in them early. Uh, independently, big beer money had invested in this independent micro brand. So, yeah, it's interesting that you say that because they were very much they were very much a company that was that was incubated by big beer to be independent and then to later be sold to big beer. Um, and, and you're right. You're right. They took. They made very safe decisions. It was very polished. They popped up out of nowhere in this sort yeah. of uh, kind of commercial, you know, mall zone. Basically, they have this restaurant that's built, you know, from the ground up, overnight, super polished, like. overnight. 
kitty corner to an outback steakhouse and a and a, a best western hotel mm-hmm. and it, all of their menu items were safe and good all of their beers were safe and good yeah you i mean you nailed it so then they get bought out and within within like four years yeah Ninkasi, for a shitload of money oh yeah ninkasi denied buyouts and and recently they were acquired by a nebulous kind of organization who owns a conglomerate of craft breweries and I, I think honestly it's for the infrastructure support that they can get to help grow the total business and I think it was probably a good decision for them in the long run. But back on the watches. What we have to look at is is what are they trying to accomplish? Are they showing up into the market and making safe, known quantity maintaining the status quo decisions or are they being innovative trying to grow trying to trying to do new things trying to reach consumers where they're at with a quality product that they truly believe in and i think if you look at if you look at microbrand watches you can pretty quickly identify the companies that are doing something for the passion of it against doing something for the money of it and the price of the watch is not an indicator okay so I think I no. I think it could be an indicator. I think it could be. It could yeah. be, but I think it, inversely to the way that you would think. I think a company who's selling, you know, one of these micro brands who's selling a five, seven, eight hundred dollar watch. What? Look at all the money that went into that. And when you also have to think about micro brands is when and going on to this topic that you're talking about with, oh, this would be a perfect watch for a hundred dollars less. Mm-hmm. What what I think consumers don't consider when they're looking at micro brands is you're not looking at at um wholesale prices yeah, just buy the fucking seagull get off of youtube and buy the fucking seagull but you're not looking at, at a company who can buy fifty thousand pieces and get That's them right. at like 86 cents a piece as a, right. you know you're looking at a company who's buying 200 pieces or they're crowdsourcing through pre-orders or kickstarter to be able to afford the 500 piece minimum and you ran into it with the emperor diver y'all couldn't afford to make the watch because you didn't have enough people willing to buy it you couldn't afford the the final the the bottom line because you couldn't get to that wholesale level and we got bailed out by a company who was looking to do a similar thing not exactly the same but similar provide a direct-to-consumer product that's crowdsourced yeah. through the funding tesla did it tesla like is one of i think the first big companies to be able to crowdsource a project and, and do it effectively through pre-orders. But I think we see it a lot in watches uh, because there yeah. are so many micro brands who are coming out of the woodwork who want to create a unique piece that's quality. Mm-hmm. But who's going to put up the, the liquid cash of conservatively $20,000 yeah. to put a product to market? You, you know, uh, Chris Vale of Nth Watches, which I now pronounce right, talks about this quite a bit uh, on his Watch You Seek thread uh, i guess it's not his thread but the watch you seek thread dedicated to nth watches um he, he talks about w- what it takes to make a watch uh and, and you know I, I don't know that i agree with chris vale's business plan all the time um although i do think it's changed in recent years there, there have been times where he's prioritized you know the ability to, to sell everything you, you you know i i think that it might make sense for him to to run a, an inventory um, but maybe not. What do I know? I, I'm just a guy who doesn't do who doesn't do watchmaking. Um, but but with that said, he is very explicit about 
making decisions, making decisions for the purposes of selling watches, you know, and, and he talks about er every decision I make contributes to the price for, for better or worse, mm -hmm. you, you know, so everybody wants Sapphire. Okay, well, that's, that's a cost increase. And, you know, one of the things that happened to him a couple of years ago is people were complaining about the bracelets and the clasp. So he re-engineered the bracelet and he... Which uh, is a cost in and of itself. That's right. And, and he sourced uh, new clasps and, and worked really hard. He posted some videos and uh, took time to to, to source clasps that were going to meet his customers' expectations. Now, Nth watches aren't cheap. They're, you know, $650, $700 for the subs. Um, and these are sort of unabashed sub homages, although they run the gamut of style, you know, from um, Seamaster inspired to Tudor inspired. So you, you get a lot of variety there, but it's a 40 millimeter sub case is what it is. Um, he uses, you know, but he talks about his design design decisions and some of the decisions he makes because he knows that there's a service benefit. Like he's long, uh, long been a critic of, of ceramic bezels. Ceramic bezels were Cinderella uh, a year and a half, two years ago. Um, and, and he said, no, I'm not going to do that because they break and they're not durable. And I want to give my customers a durable, durable product. I'm going to do PVD brushed steel and and he does you, you know steel is stronger than aluminum it's not going to scratch as easily uh it, it's it's steel right yeah, yeah it's steel so you, you know he makes these conscious decisions but he's he's also pretty explicit about i can't do all of the things you want because then my price goes up and if, if you I, want to custom make a watch make your own fucking watch exactly well and he probably would would even say that in 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 as many words so you know but it's one of these things that we as we are shopping for watches don't necessarily think about and, and i'm not criticizing people that's that want to have certain things in a watch and i've been guilty of it right well for 350 bucks it'd sure be nice to have sapphire or 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 my, i'm the worst offender of water resistance right that's that's my my guilty <clears throat> pleasure is water resistance right i, I look at a 50 meter watch and i and i don't necessarily feel satisfied uh, especially in a sport watch a, a sport watch i want to have a hundred or better yet give me 200 meters of water resistance there's a price point though that that can be expected i i think that that's right but you, you know which is not to say that a dress watch needs that or or, or a kicker on watch or you you know you've even said to me on the air i think uh how how often are you going to wear that in a swimming pool, let alone go diving with it? And the answer is never, right? Mm -hmm. or, or very rarely. So um, we have these unreasonable expectations. And those are those are boosted by companies like Siegel or, or probably Seiko and Orient. You know, these companies that have the ability to, with, with inexpensive labor, put out a product that is going to meet those objective standards um and 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 done at a much lower overhead rate the overhead of those companies is much less absolutely and i think seagull is a <clears throat> terrible example and the reason you can get a seagull watch for 150 200 bucks is because it's an enormous brand and six-year-olds are super cheap dude yeah they're they're crazy cheap. but it's also <laughs> it, it's such a big brand sure it's not a huge international brand and it's, it seems a little bit novel to us because it's a Chinese brand. But the fact is, they're huge. Huge. I mean, Siegel might be the biggest watch company in the world. And and just because it's not a Seiko or a Citizen or one of these other big name international brands that you think of doesn't, doesn't mean that they're not cutting prices through wholesale cost, reasonably assumed child labor, 
like that's just the reality of it yeah and if you want to like i have i have no moral issue with buying a 150 dollar watch that's made on the backs of uh, exploited labor that's maybe <laughs> a, maybe something i should examine in myself <laughs> but i don't i don't have an issue with it but i'm not going to call it a micro brand and i'm not going to put a higher premium on it well and, Siegel is definitely not a micro brand let's get that out of right, the way but yeah. but i think it i think it, it carries with it a little bit of a micro brand feel because it's unfamiliar mm-hmm. and i think that's also one one thing that we have to separate is that a micro brand isn't necessarily something you're unfamiliar with you 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 can't call just something because you don't know it a micro brand yeah you know i i don't know if like I don't know if even Shinola would would fall into a micro brand category in my mind anymore. Yeah, well, that's interesting because there are some of these bleeding edge watches. Shinola is a is one of the brands that comes up. Uh, certainly, Bre- Bremont or Christopher Ward mm-hmm. um, are, are companies that spring to mind that that sort of enter into the fringes of the micro brand conversation, but that almost certainly aren't micro brands. You know, I think Christopher Ward is was at some point. Bre- Bremont's been around for forever. Um, but you, you know these companies w- maybe were micro brands at some point, but they're certainly not now. And, and Shinola is a, is a weird one, right? Because they're a a giant company that just so happens to make watches too. So <clears throat> yeah, that's an interesting point. Uh, so, so, you know, a, a micro brand I think really has to be this independent grassroots thing. And, and when when Monta came out a few years ago, there was discussions about whether or not Monta was a micro brand. Um, and, and you, you know, Montas when they came out were like Tudor price. Mm-hmm. When, when the Ocean King came out, I think that that was like a thirty seven hundred dollar watch. They they came out uh, with Eterna movements, and I, I think that what they did is they tried to use third party distributors standard traditional distribution plans um which requires a markup right uh and and so their msrp was 3700 and their margins were priced similar and and i think they figured out really soon what what probably underlies your your theory here today is that that distribution system is closed to a company like monta Mm -hmm. Or you know perhaps NTH or NTH nth, nth or or you, you know notice or EMG that method of distribution is limited and, and you know I think Chris Vale at nth has has started to pick that up mm-hmm. you, you know he's he's got a third party distribution channel that that's really active right now um, but you you know so what did Monta do well they basically cut the price of their watch in half. They put an Eta movement into it instead of an Eterna movement, and and all of a sudden, you, you know, they're the darlings of Instagram, right? Mm-hmm. And and I will say, we, you and I have both handled a Triumph. Uh, the right wrist was was super nice to send us his Triumph for a while to, again, to play with. And, and I mean, I've never handled a watch for a sustained period of time that was finished like that, you know. So for for a Triumph, I think you're in the Thirteen to fifteen hundred dollar range, which is a bucket load mm-hmm. of money for me, for you certainly. Um, you know, some people can spend that and and be and be pretty comfortable with that purchase. That's a that is a major purchase for me, you, and I would say probably ninety ninety percent of our listeners, if not more. <laughs> yeah. So, so it, it it's it's more expensive than a lot of these watches we're looking at. I, I do think it's better. I, I'm not sure. 
objectively that it's better and and i don't think that my enjoyment of it would be any more than say a halios Mm -hmm. you know at at half the price Mm -hmm. um but or a raven or a dan henry or or a laurier right or uh a ferrer or any of these any of these small ferrer is the same damn price no ferrers are south of eight Okay, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I, I could be them. wrong. I haven't, I haven't priced them in a while. But I just they were know salivated. every time I look at Ferrer, I think, God, that's cool. Yep, I'm not going to buy it because <laughs> it's too much money. Well, so it could still be in the $800 range. I could be yeah. on that. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, continue. Well, that's it. I, I mean, I guess my, my point was there's something about a micro brand that has, well, so, so back up, right? This whole Chris Vale uh you, you know people they call him wall of texts you know chris vale wall of text right because when he writes he writes and he just you can just see him jamming on his keyboard um in like a rage yeah you know i i think he's just verbose but but yeah there is that Sorry, certain Chris, it's probably not a rage <laughs> there may be i mean there, you do feel some of that but but it's this obtuseness that uh is is so prevalent and and I think that we have to, as consumers, decide what do we want. And maybe we don't all want the same thing. And maybe that's how, how people are able to sell watches. But, you, you know, when I see people saying, I'm looking at this EMG DL63 with totally new design elements that's made by these three guys, um, you know, and whatever, they're buying cases, they're buying movements, they're not doing, they're not reinventing the wheel. The dials are different. Mm-hmm. Custom dials. I mean, but but at the end of the day, they're putting unique touches on it. They're putting beautiful case backs. They're putting, you know, they're signing the crowns. They're doing things that give value. And so we as consumers have to decide, do we want that or do we just want the fucking seagull? And, and it's going to be different. The answer to that question is going to be different for everybody. And some days I want the seagull. You know what I mean? Yeah. Some days that's what I want. So buy both. Well, yeah, right. <laughs> that's that's the answer. But there's something to be said for the value in someone doing it, someone doing something. And these companies do drastically different things. Yeah. You, you know, you've got a guy like Cameron Weiss in New York who's physically machining screws and, um, you know, balance Hickok parts. And I'm just making words up now. Uh, but you know he's, he's they're machining that shit in house. They are making an entire watch minus a few parts that they're sourcing from Switzerland or or whatever. You know these hard to make parts, um, and making the whole fucking watch in New York. You, you know, and, and you're gonna pay a thousand to two hundred. You you know I think the the Weiss Field standard is is in the low thousands, and and he sells watches that are closer to two. So, but there's a value to it. There is value to buying from someone who's willing to do something. Otherwise, we all get the Casio. If if we're not willing to pay someone for penny for for spending time and and lending attention to the craft, we're all going to get the Casio. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. But that's called communism, which I'm not a fan of. <laughs> I wrote on, in my notes in air I'm quoting, there's not air quotes on my paper. There's real quotes. Small feel equals more personal experience, and that's exactly what you just described. Uh, and what we've what we've just spent the last thirty five minutes talking about is like the, the 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 watch brand 
market side of it. And I just want to touch really quickly on the consumer side of it. And and we as consumers expect an 80% discount from a small brand because they're not paying the overhead of hundreds of employees. And the bottom line is their overheads in different places. And because they're a small brand, they don't have the liquid assets. They don't have, they don't have just at the assets period to be able to absorb cost right up front. So they're going to, we're going to pay a premium for these almost custom pieces when they're coming from small brands. And the, 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 the short of the long of it is the long of the short of it. The short, <laughs> the, you, you do you boo. The short of the long. I'm going to say the short of the long, because this is a long statement that I'm going to sum up <laughs> just because you can't afford a watch. Doesn't mean it's too expensive. Yeah. A McLaren isn't too expensive. I just can't afford it. And I think that's what we're seeing. And I, and I one thing that I do want to say that I wrote in my notes is that the dive watch is the hot bomb. Like the dive watch is of the watch world the way the hot bomb was of the beer world. And I can't wait to see what's next because I love dive watches. There's too fucking many of them. Yeah. Give me more diversity. You, you know, I think that the that to stay on metaphor, I, I think that the sour beer of the watch world is going to be dress dress sport watches Ooh, um, i'm into it you, you know you high, high water resistance high durability dressy sport watches that's right 38 to 40 millimeter clean bezel bring them I, I think that that is going to be the sour beer of this metaphor so get on me yeah that's how i feel too i mean the laurier falcon came out and is it the falcon or is it the uh the falcon that's the that's their sport, clean yeah. bezel mm-hmm. yeah you, you know that came out and i was like this is it man i can tell it's happening you know and jason Lim over at halios is now releasing a 38 millimeter sport watch i mean you can just see the 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 changes is happening right now you know someone said that this is going to be the year of the 12 hour bezel uh and and maybe I hope last it's the year, year the stainless bezel. What's that? I hope it's the year of the stainless bezel. It, yeah, you know, I think that's what's happening. I, I think we're going to see it, and it, it may be closer to the end of the year where we see it proliferate. Um, but I do think that's what I think that's where we're going. So, do you want to wrap up and just talk about some micro brands that you like, why you like them, where we're at? Yeah, with that. And you know what? And as I as I said, I I anticipated that this might be a multi part uh, series that that we bring, and I think given just touching on about a third of what I wanted to talk about tonight. Uh, this is going to be one of those multi-parts. Get involved in the conversation. Let us know, and and we will join it. Join yeah, it. you Crack know, here and join the conversation. If you guys give us some feedback, we'll we'll revisit this. I mean, maybe as soon as next week, and and expand on the conversation with your feedback because we'd love to hear it. Yeah, but I mean, we're not experts. We're just we're just opinionated assholes. Far from it. Uh, anyway. Some some micros that that I dig and and why I dig them and I, I think we can skip EMG because we both we both have have talked not ad nauseum because I don't know if we can talk highly enough of EMG they're great folks they're making killer watches and and we dig them so we, we dig can, them yeah, yeah. Um, Halios I I don't know if we need to talk about it uh, but I dig their watches one that we haven't talked about on here is Ferrer watches and they're making they're making really beautiful really beautiful really classic uh kind of vintage inspired feel watches uh and they're on the, they're on the more expensive end they they fall into a reach watch category for me um but i 
absolutely dig what they're what they're doing. They've got a GMT that every time I see it, I, I start plotting ways to to quickly accumulate that amount of money that my wife won't know about that I can <laughs> spend on that watch and I can say, oh yeah, they so the the lander is uh is it fourteen twenty five right now? And if I could come up with fourteen hundred money without my wife knowing about it, the twenty five wouldn't matter. Um, but if I could come up with fourteen hundred money and my wife not knowing about it, and I could do kind of some kind of discreet cash exchange rather than an electronic exchange that she could certainly hunt down and get one of these on my wrist, I would. Um, Basically, anything short of a felony, I think I'd be okay with. Yeah, I mean, it's a super cool company. I put it in that same range as as Monta. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, it, they're fantastic. The details on these are great, and, and they just they just look wonderful. So I'm with you there. Next one on the list for me is Nizumi, and they're a design studio, so they they have their fingers in quite a bit of things. <clears throat> but they're just coming out with such beautiful watches, and I. I almost, without permission, pulled the trigger. They had some uh, some of their watches on Huckberry um, for probably, I don't know, 20% off, 30% off neighborhood. I don't know if you're familiar with Huckberry. Which brings them to like, yeah, oh yeah, the, yeah. like 350-ish. Yeah. 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 So they were about 350, maybe 280. I don't it, it, They were in the realm of reasonable and in the realm of forgiveness possible. Right. <laughs> um, right. And I almost pulled the trigger on, on one the other day and... They're they're coming out with such watches that really really resonate with me because they're really classic in their feel, but they're still really unique. They're not just a just a carbon copy of something that we've seen a hundred times. There there's so much personality and so much of their DNA infused into this watch that is almost familiar because of the of the style of watch that they're going with. Um, and that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for that personal touch, like a watch that I look at and speaks to me. And I, that's not what I'm getting out of these watches that I'm going to call coattail riders in a non-derogatory sense. And I know that everything about what I just said sounds derogatory, but yeah. none of the Jack Mason watches, none of the Aviate watches, when I look at them, really, like, there's no connection there. Yeah. And, and But those can... are watches, I mean, to sort of defend you, those are watches that you've brought into our conversation a number of times uh, yeah. from all of those brands. You like those watches I do, and, the... and, and those brands. But they don't they don't they don't grab a piece of my heart and say yeah. you we're already one. Like let's let's avatar connect tails <laughs> and they're and missing join some forces. of the they're missing some of the soul. Yeah. 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 What have you got? But, you know, there's a number of brands that I could talk about today. Um, I've already talked about Nth Watches. I think that's such a fucking cool company. Uh, you know, Chris Vale, uh, I think, probably does as much for the public side of the microbrand community as any owner out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just in his engagement, just in his engagement, his desire to be transparent, um, you, you know, he's he's on he's on watch you seek and he's on his facebook group and he's talking to people and he's he's explaining the decisions he's making not that he has any obligation to because people love his watches you know he could probably spend a lot less time and still do very well for himself and and i don't know anything about whether or not he's he's financially successful i assume he is you know but uh I, i i love 
his brand probably a little bit more than I love his watches. And and that's not that's not meant to to be disrespectful, right? I I love those nth stubs. I've never loved one enough to pull the trigger on them though. So and it's a it's a watch I've been looking at for a very long time. When he came out with the Devil Ray a few years ago, I thought maybe this one and then they came out and I thought, you know, that I'm sure that's not for me. It's just going to be too much watch. Um, so uh, that is not, I, I feel a little bad that I'm ending that on a negative note. They're not for me, uh, I think. And, and I think that it's very likely that someday he's going to come out a watch with a watch and I'm like, that's, that's for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and if he does, I'll buy it because I think he's super cool. I love that brand. Uh, brew watches, brew watches is a tiny company. This retrograph is fantastic and it's, it's affordable. I think they're like 300 to 400 range. They do such cool stuff too. Super they're cool. They're espresso timer. I mean, come on. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So brew watches. Obviously, there's a couple of heavy hitters that I'd like to talk about. Notice watches, mm-hmm. just wonderful, right? right? Just everything that they come out with is wonderful. And again, they're they're lower priced than some of the other things out there, and, and they're doing a very high end product for what they're charging. Laurier uh, also just doing very high end products for for what you're getting. That Falcon is four hundred bucks. 400 bucks no, it's not it's 399 money okay well there you go there you go so so a watch and a mcchicken for 400 bucks you, you know and 400 bucks is a bucket load so let's not let's not fool ourselves but to get a watch that's designed from the ground up by some folks that we, you know are just like us you know these guys are just like us and, and i don't mean that to say they're smarter than th- we are probably. they probably are yeah they probably are and, and they've got more motivation so um, but you know, these are just people that are like, we want to do something cool and we want, and you know, you had talked earlier about, um, passion, right? They got the passion. You can tell that watch mm-hmm. is the creature of passion in the same way that my little children are, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> maybe a little different, but not much, <laughs> uh, you, you know, you can just tell that they're doing a thing. Um, so <clears throat> EMG can't say enough about them, and, and we'll continue to we'll continue to pimp EMG because fucking love those guys. Uh, it, probably the most underrated watch company. I know they struggle with sales too. Um, some for whatever reason they've they've struggled to to resonate with the bigger picture. Um, and and you know they you got know what some... to the benefit of the consumer because it means that they they they've got to keep their prices extremely competitive. Yeah, and, and you know I, I, talking to Eric today. Um, he, he, he said, you know, people think that I'm making a big paycheck and I'm just not, I've never taken any money out of this company. And I don't know if he meant that literally or figuratively, but, um, you, you know, it, these guys are not making bucket loads of money. They're not making money hands over fists. They're probably not even making money to survive if they didn't have jobs, you, you know? So, um, I, I guess, I guess that would be it. You, you know, there's, I'm sure I'm missing companies that I love. Um, you know, seals watches is another one that I see those watches and I'm like, sign me up. And I just never have, uh, I Raven. also wrote down HKED, Raven and Scurfa. Y- yeah. Oh yeah. Scurfa. Gosh, how do we miss that one? Such, such a great, such a great concept. And he's sticking to his guns. Y- you, you know, I- I'm probably not going to buy one cause it's a quartz watch, but that's what he wants to make. Mm-hmm. He wants to make a quartz watch. And so that's what he's doing. So, uh, and, and try to find someone online saying something bad, an owner, of a of a scarf, I try to say saying something bad. I don't think you'll find it. So, are we done for today for this installment of <laughs> the state of micros? Which who knew 
when he texted it to me, I, I mean, I didn't until I really like got into it and started to feel, uh, you know, the passion bubbling and you guys can't see, but I'm, I've like, he's bubbling. I am. I'm like, I'm far more expressive with my hands this week than, than usual weeks. Like I've, I've hit the table a couple times. Uh, I elbowed the, the desk that's next to me. <laughs> uh, it's a whole thing, but I think we're, I think we're done with this installment and on to some of the other things, other things, other things we our, like our wives' favorite. Other things we like. Andrew, what do you got? I went back to my roots recently of of YouTube, uh, and I don't Ooh. know what prompted it. I don't know. I was just kind of like doing my normal YouTube pit, um, and I I found my way back to Epic Meal Time. Ooh, you dirty! <laughs> and I forgot about it. Like Ooh. it just it just sort of like it bubbled. Is it still a going operation? No, it's okay. not. But they still do have seven point one million followers. Uh, and several hundred videos, and and so for those of you not familiar with Epic Meal Time, shame on you, shame on shame. Um, but I'll explain them. It's this <laughs> crew of dudes who make, wait for it, epic meals out of some of the most horrifying things you can imagine. But that's the whole premise: is to do something wildly outrageous, maybe terrible, but why not try it? What we're dealing with here is some experimental chefs, and they've done such things as the fast food lasagna, where they went to a bunch of fast food joints and then made lasagna from the ingredients. They've done chili for loco, um, wherein um, the bulk of the ingredient was canned chili. I think it was canned chili uh, and a whole shitload of for loco. And in one of their episodes, they made a bacon cup. They weaved together bacon. Uh, baked it and then filled that cup with four loco drank the four loco and ate the cup how do you beat that (laughs) um and and then an all bacon hamburger where again they weaved together bacon to make the bun and then made a bacon patty and uh they're all like sub 10 minute you know some of them in the neighborhood of two minute videos of them making these horrendous things things that you've thought like i could do that and then they do it for you, so you don't have to go spend ninety bucks on fruit roll-ups to make it like make a burrito out of fruit roll-ups. It's classic YouTube. Classic YouTube. It's funny. It's engaging. They're short, and uh, again, the danger with short YouTube videos, you know, when they're in the two to five minute, you're like, yeah, I'll play the next one. Yeah, I'll play the next one. And two hours later, you're like, oh, I guess I'm gonna go home from work now. Um, anyway, so that's a, a YouTube page that I've been uh, frequenting again as of late. Epic meal time, folks. Epic meal time. So I recently finished a, a sci-fi trilogy, and that's Star what I want to talk about today. No, it, it's a it's a it's a series of books. It's a trilogy of books. I bought them all together. That's the nice thing. If you wait till all of the books are out, you can buy them in a package. So I think it was like oh. thirty bucks for all of them for Kindle. Um, but the the trilogy is called the Themis Files. Uh, this is a series by. Ooh. Sylvain Nouvelle, I'm going to say. Sylvain, S-Y-L-V-A-I-N, Nouvelle, N-E-U-V-E-L. And it's about an alien race having deposited giant robots on the Earth in the past. So it's Transformers. It is It is Transformers, yes. Uh, it was wonderful. And and the reason I, I, you know, I read a lot of books... The reason I am bringing this up here today is because 
Uh, It's so much different than anything else I've ever read before. The books are not told in a standard narrative fashion. Rather, the stories are told by way of interviews and journal entries. Ooh, interesting. Of the, you know, five or six main characters. So there's one character that we uh, see repeatedly in the first several, uh, well... uh, I'll be careful with, with spoilers. Spoilers, yeah. I'll be careful. So there's one character that we are very well acquainted with by way of his dialogue, but we know nothing about. There are a a number of characters with these really rich backstories, um, and, and, and it's really engaging. I, I will say, the story is perhaps not the, the most... Uh, complex or ornate story and I think you can attribute some of that to the medium right uh, this this interview slash journal entry storytelling has its limitations right so it's almost like an anthology y- yeah that that's right and, and so there there are some limitations to that so I think that the story struggles a little bit but with that said the it's so well done that you're totally engaged all the way through I mean I think I read these three books and it's not a tiny trilogy you know i don't know page numbers anymore because i kindle and so you know percentages yeah that's right i only know percentages. <laughs> and location yeah that's right uh so i don't know how long this is but i i don't think it was terribly long to read all three of them i mean i got through them in in a few weeks um but it, the whole time i was engaged right up to the very end you, you know uh and it's just really well done, really wonderful. Book one's called Sleeping Giants. So if you if you Google Themis Files, T-H-E-M-I-S, Themis Files, or if you Google Sleeping Giants, you'll be able to find it. And it was just really, really wonderful. Great story. Uh, totally different than anything else you're going to read this year. Uh, and so I'd say check it out. I'll caveat with a couple other um, book or movie recommendations. Uh, for uh, adjectives... Netflix movie uh, about Ted Bundy with Zac Efron as Ted Bundy is a worthwhile watch, y'all. Uh, it's it's a little bit of like a a, a bio drama. Uh, check it out. It dropped on Netflix a couple days ago. Worthwhile. And I'm reading Devil in the White City right now. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with it, it's the story of the. It's a couple parallel stories, and I'm like halfway through it, so I don't know. I don't know where they join, but I assume that they join because otherwise, why tell them in the same book? Um, <clears throat> of two things occurring uh, leading up to the uh, 1890s World's Fair in Chicago, uh, one of them being the story from the architects who were responsible for designing the buildings, and the other, the story of H. H. Holmes, who I forget his real name, who was basically a serial killer uh, rapist in the in chicago in the 1890s who built a building on a square city block that was a murder castle uh and that's that's where i'll leave it at that but feel free to go ahead and google the murder castle and it is among the most fascinating serial killer stories that i've ever heard fantastic yeah fantastic all right well uh does that does that do it for this week does it for this week well thank you for joining us for this episode of 40 and 20 don't forget to tune back in next thursday for another hour of watches food, drinks, life, and other things we like. Bye-bye.
Our music today is Bummin' on Tremolo by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license.